instead of checking all these motors once, twice a week, it really varies. What if you can put them in more critical projects that can be more productive versus reactive? That's kind of two things. Like I said, it just really varies based on the customer. Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Carrie Lee. I'm the product manager for Sysmac Studio, NJ NX Controllers, and NXIO. I've been with Omron for about two and a half years and have about 15 years of experience in automation. Sitting here with me is Kenny Heidel. Hi everyone, I'm Kenny Heidel and I'm a national account manager focusing on channel engagement. I've been with Omron for over three years now and have 12 years of combined factory and industrial automation experience. Kenny and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about products, new technologies and trends, and of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with listeners so that you can learn along with us. So whether you are pouring yourself the first or fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day off right with a little fun, and hopefully you'll learn something new. Today's episode is Back to the Future, so we're going to be talking about predictive maintenance, and our guest today is Justin Lanton. And just a note for our listeners, uh, Justin Lanton is no longer with the organization, but we felt there was a lot of really good information in this podcast that'd be very valuable to you, so have a listen. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys, for having me. My um, name is Justin Lanton. I'm the product manager for industrial components here at Home Run America. And uh, the products that I manage would be monitoring products, relays, temperature controllers, and panel meters. I've been with Home Run for about two years now, but I have about 10 years of combined experience in the automotive and construction manufacturing industry. To start off the podcast, we wanted to ask you a couple fun questions to kind of cool. get to know you a little better. So, Justin, what has been your go-to pandemic binge or food order? Hmm. So, um, I surprisingly, uh, you haven't uh, gone crazy on the takeout food, even though there's so many around uh, where I live in Chicago. But uh, I do tend to order the most of uh, Hot Walk's Cool Sushi. Um, so, they're just around the corner and... Um, I don't have to pay the, you know, uh, outrageous Grubhub delivery fee and I can walk there myself. So I tend to go there a lot if, you know, when I go out to eat out. So you might say it's a, just a hot walk away. Yeah. Hot walk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was awesome. That was good. <laughs> exactly. All right. So continuing with our very, very hard hitting questions. Yeah. If you got to get a lot of work done, Justin, what is your go-to jam music to get that done? You know, throw your headphones on. What are you putting on? It's, it's it's actually not music that I like to listen to. It's more of ambient music. So, so I sometimes I play like a yoga playlist that I find on uh, um, either Apple Music or Spotify. That helps me focus. If I put music that I, I actually like, I, I get distracted. I get up, start dancing, or and just do other stuff. So I can't have that type of music on. Just. Uh, it's something that's at least in the background, so I'm just not listening to empty space, you know, if you know it. Sure. That's a good Actually, idea. I've never really tried uh, yoga music. Have you, Carrie? No, but I think that kind of explains why you're always so calm whenever I talk yes. to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I just picture you in, like, a spa setting. 
<laughs> There's a fountain yeah. somewhere in the back yeah. with just running water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where's the trickling fountain? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, last of the tough questions before we mm. get to the easy ones. Justin, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby uh, right now, I would say it's kind of two things. Um, it's actually exercising, and then uh, I do a lot of woodworking. Since you know, my options are limited here in Chicago, uh, I do work out about six times a week just to keep myself, uh, you know, sane because uh, I live alone and I don't leave in to go anywhere else. So I have to go out. out of the, I got to get a house for some reason. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I definitely go to the gym often. And then um, woodworking, uh, probably like every every other weekend, I'm building something like a table. Yeah, last week and I hung up a TV. So it's just, just stuff like that, house renovation stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, I think we've all learned right during this pandemic, you got to get out of the house, at least at some point during the day, right? Got to get some fresh air. It's important. Absolutely. I have to say your your hobbies are way more productive than mine. You're here Netflix. <laughs> I watch Netflix too. <laughs> All right, Justin. So luckily, uh, luckily with your job, right, you don't necessarily have to know the entire design of uh, what we might call a, a flux capacitor, if you oh. will, and know about time travel. <laughs> but um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Justin has done a fantastic webinar on predictive maintenance and how it relates to, to Omron components. Uh, so Justin, if you want to just give a quick, uh, quick shot at kind of what that webinar was about, uh, just for our listeners. Yeah, sure. So the predictive maintenance webinar was was mainly geared around transforming uh, your maintenance into what we were going to talk about is predictive maintenance. And predictive maintenance, basically, it's a, it's a condition-based maintenance strategy where you can remotely monitor the condition of your equipment using IoT sensor devices. So these IoT sensors can supply real-time data of your equipment, voltage, vibration, pressure, all these type of critical information where you can analyze it and create a maintenance strategy where you can effectively reduce maintenance costs and respond quicker to critical issues. So we focused a lot around the technology and on how to migrate from different maintenance strategies like preventive and reactive maintenance, which you know I can talk about a little bit more later on. And we talk about how Omron has turnkey solutions to help you get from your current maintenance strategy to predictive. And of course, we talked about the applications and the benefits of of uh, predictive maintenance in a, in, a, in a plan application. As Kenny mentioned, it's an excellent webinar, and quite frankly, I'm sold after watching it. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want predictive maintenance, but if you could share with us maybe a key reason why you hear customers say they don't want to implement it, and how you might overcome that objection. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've I've heard objections of implementing this type of strategy. So there's kind of two things that come to mind. First one would be the kind of the learning curve of um, the new technology. Um, a lot of it's based around, you know, IoT devices and having that connectivity. And mm -hmm. so if you have a, an application that's maybe not so uh, familiar with that or uh, doesn't have a lot of that infrastructure built in there, it can be a, a bit intimidating. The staff that's there, the, you know, how how capable they are as far as programming and do they have the resources to implement this? That That's usually something that's a bit of a concern. Mm -hmm. uh, second one can be the initial investment costs. And depending on the size of the uh, application, the investment cost can be large, but in some cases it can be small. 
So it all really depends on, um, obviously, if you have a larger application, like a large automotive manufacturing plant, um, the cost of downtime is much, much greater. And uh, it kind of outweighs the initial investment cost. So you can kind of see that value proposition clearer than you would if you were in a smaller packaging facility with just a dozen machines. So Mm -hmm. that's really kind of where you see those objections. um, You know, maybe if you're in a smaller application where downtime is not as critical or doesn't cost as much. But as you start getting larger in scale, that starts to add up. And then cost of downtime, you know, is is a big focus point for that plant. So just as a follow up to that, um, when you talk about like larger, is it is there like a motor size or is it more the size of the facility? I guess what I'm kind of looking for is like a minimum recommendation, like mentioned packaging, it's kind of harder to justify ROI. So some, some guidelines. Yeah, let's talk about well, the motor sizes. If we're talking about the K6CM motor condition monitor, there is a kind of a sweet spot when it comes to where it makes sense to invest in this technology. So 10 horsepower is uh, it's kind of like a good line you can draw us from in the horsepower class. Anything below 10 horsepower, customers think of those as just more like you know, throwaway motors, right? You know, mm-hmm. why put, invest in something that's so cheap to replace? But once you start getting into, let's say, 50 horsepower and up, the motors cost, uh, they can be like five, six grand a-, a piece. But it's not so much the cost of the motor that you're trying to protect. It's that if it's a large motor, it's probably very critical. And it's probably moving something that's very large or maybe high volume let's say a 50 horsepower motor can be powering a conveyor that could that might be moving uh, cars down an assembly line. You know, you don't want that one to break down. Sure. So, um, right. you know, once you start getting higher in um, horsepower and size, I mean, they can range up to a thousand horsepower, the more critical it is typically and the more hours it's running per day. So um, more wear and tear, right? So, so, I mean, that's just in regards to the motor size, um, you know, where, uh, that's kind of the more ideal spot. It does really vary from application to application, but when you talk about industries, automotive has the highest figure when it comes to uh, cost of downtime per hour. And then, you know, as you go down to like maybe food and commodities, it tends to drop down to lower figures. So the way you uh, kind of want to look at it is, you know, what's the impact of the downtime per hour in a plant? And then just mm-hmm. kind of where you kind of gauge where um, where it, where it's going to make sense. And maybe with uh, maybe with food and commodities, do you think it maybe becomes less about the cost of downtime and more about the cost of potentially spoiled goods, right? Oh, like if you have like a cooling blower or something like that, or a, you know something that is moderating temperature, you kind of see something something like that maybe being more of the argument, I guess, on the food and commodity side. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I've seen there's a lot of conveyor motors in that type of application. The cost of uh, downtime on that can be expensive, but there's also motors that are co- that are used in the process. So, like mixing applications where you're you're stirring a bunch of ingredients. Some cases you get contamination inside. What it can do is over time it can start to add extra load to the motor, mm-hmm. and then the motor is working hard, and you know no one's really noticing that this is happening could just also causing premature uh, wear on the motor, but the it could affect the product of uh, what's being mixed inside. And then that could cost more down the line for the manufacturer. 
Wasn't there just something in the news recently? Some food had metal shavings in it put out and they had a recall. I can't remember. It might have been dog food, but I could imagine having some yeah. predictive maintenance to let you know. Absolutely. It's a good thing you pointed that out because we have the K6CM has a current monitor version where you are basically have a current transformer on that three phase motor. And there's an algorithm in there to detect abnormal loads if you were, let's say, like uh, metal shavings going into like some mixing application. It's already programmed to see a certain type of, you know, current level. And when you start seeing these foreign debris, it, it changes the signal of that sine wave from that motor. So the K6CM is able to pick up that abnormality and alert the plant manager that there's there's something going on and they can respond quicker and therefore you know you're not letting that problem grow as time goes on awesome. absolutely that is a cool uh a cool feature of that variant for sure another question you know you you did a fantastic job in, in your webinar talking about the different value propositions when you compare between like remote monitoring capability reduce maintenance cost or reduce downtime, you know, and customers that you've talked to, what tends to to resonate most? What kind of hits home the most that someone's it's kind of like that gotcha moment for them. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, that is, that is very important. It, it varies. So, um, by customer. So I think first questions we would ask is, um, what's the most recent failure you've had in your plant and how much did that cost? You usually get a, well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, kind of a little hesitant to, you know, spill out the beans, but uh, the figures are, are most of the time are more than the cost of the investment to mm -hmm. implement it, right? And once you start uh, breaking down the numbers, I think they start to understand that, okay, I had failure A last November and then uh, the same failure in the February of the same year. And this is amounted to this. Sometimes they, the, the plant engineers don't really look at the big picture and how much they're spending to replace all of these or maintain all of these equipment. So I had a customer that I asked the same question and said, well, we had a failure of a, uh, what was it? It was an exhaust fan motor that was in a um, foundry. Mm -hmm. And when that motor failed, basically shut down the whole line because the fan was critical to the uh, cooling process of the foundry. And mm -hmm. it caused about uh, $500,000 in, in downtime from just that one, that one fan motor failure. And the thing is, it's like they, the, the customers, don't, they don't always tell you this up front. You have to kind of highlight this and it's like, well, that's a lot more than the investment of this product. So <laughs> that's where we kind of start connecting the dots. So in, in that case, that was a large foundry, large aluminum extrusion manufacturer. So the like the cost of downtime was really high. So it really make their the cost of downtime per hour is is kind of like a really a big gotcha moment, I guess, if you were to say that. On the flip side, on some smaller smaller customers, uh, what I've heard is um, you know the amount of time that my maintenance crew has to spend checking all these motors, checking all these cabinets. Sometimes they don't always have a, a dollar value to that, but mm -hmm. they do have at least a, a time, how much it takes. Yeah, so I think cost, right? opportunity cost, mm -hmm. correct. You know, some manufacturers uh, can spend like 19 hours a week just going around and checking critical items, panels, checking, making sure all the wires are still connected, doing thermal readings inside the panel, 
uh, checking motor for uh, vibration. That's a very common one. And also checking if, you know, there's any, any abnormal current loads and, and resistance monitoring. There's just a couple of uh, maintenance tasks that uh, a lot of plants do. The time uh, that it takes to do this, this type of maintenance, it can be uh, another critical point to talk to because when you mm -hmm. implement predictive maintenance and do remote monitoring, you're essentially freeing up that labor and allowing them to prioritize their maintenance crew schedule just more efficiently. Instead of checking all these motors once, twice a week, it really varies. What if you can put them in more critical projects that can be more productive versus reactive? That's kind of two things. Like I said, it just really varies based on the customer. Yeah, it kind of reminds me too of the security apps and all the Wi-Fi connected devices now you can put into your home, right? You know, if you leave and you have one of those dev smart devices on your garage door, you know, I don't know how many times I've driven away from my house, right? And I'm like, oh, did I shut the garage door? I don't know. Yeah. Instead of driving around and doing a preventative measure of being like, okay, I did did shut the garage door. It's kind of that next level of I could like, not while driving, stop and look at my phone and say, oh, look, I did shut the garage door. I'm good. Yeah, the real-time monitoring of the condition is, is a huge benefit because inspections are only a snapshot of the condition at the time, right? And I know customers that will inspect their panels uh, once a month, and I know some customers that will inspect it once a year, right? And so you're not really getting what happens in between those inspection periods. And you know, of course, when you deal with intermittent issues, it's very difficult to detect by just inspecting on a regular basis. So kind of jumping on that and jumping on my IIoT lens that I always look at everything, one of the neat things I think about all the products that you're talking about today, they have Ethernet IP, right? So mm -hmm. we can get and collect that data um, using like a Sysmax SQL controller and start to uh, identify some trends and things, right? So it's it, it takes it even a step further beyond the predictive maintenance to allow uh, people to have better insight into their plant. Because you could also see, you know, maybe it's not an issue with the motor, but you can see that the motor is working harder because of, you know, X, Y, Z, that could also be tied to something happening. You know, maybe Charlie on third shift ha has a heavy hand when he's pouring that flour in, right? <laughs> you could start to figure some of those out. So got to throw an IOT in every episode. <laughs> Absolutely. It wasn't enough that our first alphabet soup, right? <laughs> it will never be enough. <laughs> but uh, in all, all joking aside, Johnson Hall has done some really uh, great demos using both our products, and we will continue to promote stuff moving forward. But to ask you more questions, you know, to me, I think a lot of times uh, maintenance tends to be a focus for end users, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see any OEMs having interest in this? And if so, is there a theme going through of the OEMs? So you could kind of identify what type of OEMs are interested or specific reasons why they may be interested from an OEM perspective? Yeah, great question. Most of these products are, um, they're focused more for end users. And uh, there are there is some interest with uh, some OEMs, and I would say the OEMs that would be interested would be manufacturers of larger equipment, where um, you know it has a greater effect on the production, or, or of course on plant downtime. So uh, an example would be maybe a large extruder manufacturer it can be very expensive. Those motors are working really hard to move the plastics through, and um, those those are pretty critical. So. You can have that technology integrated into the panel, 
and that can provide benefit to the end user and kind of eliminate the integration for our, for the end user that's already built into there. I've actually spoken with some OEMs who manufacture air handling units, and it could be commercial, residential, industrial. They were very interested in this type of uh, technology because kind of along the same lines of uh, the plant maintenance is that they have to send service techs out to some of these buildings and they have to go on the roof. And, you know, going on a roof on maybe, you know, 26-story building or in Chicago, 100-story building, we're all the HVAC units. In the dead of winter. <laughs> winter. And, and, and it's, it's funny because, you know, we went to Canada and that's a big problem there. They don't like going on the roofs because, one, it's, it can be slippery, cold, but sometimes the air handling unit fans get frozen with ice. And um, that can cause, you know, a breakdown of the system and a wear and tear on the motor. So having this technology in there can basically alert either the building uh, or the service tech that maybe we have a frozen fan blade somewhere on air handling unit one. So uh, that OEM was very interested in this technology. So I would say if you kind of look at larger equipment OEMs and OEMs that manufacture equipment where it's difficult to access. You could also probably revenue generator there for that uh, air handling unit, right? I'll sell you a service contract. We'll know when you're having issues. That was also part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and also, pri same thing as where they were prioritizing their service techs uh, in the field. They don't want to do that. That's not the type of work they want to do. It's just regular inspections because they kind of make more of the revenue from like the repairs and installations. So mm -hmm. this is something that they can sell as an added value, probably, you know, as an upsell package to their, to their end user. Mm -hmm. No, that's cool. That's cool. So, you know, say I'm a customer that you're talking to about predictive maintenance. I can, I can appreciate your, the value that you've talked about. Where's a good, where's a good place to start? You know, if I, I know I want to do it, but I don't know how I want to do it. What, what would you say to a, a customer like that? I would ask them some questions and kind of will about some of the recent failures. And we kind of prioritize the most critical equipment on the plant. I'd say uh, conveyors are a pretty uh, common application because it's being used all the time and um, a lot of motors, of course. You know, uh, we would start with the most analyze the, the equipment on the plant and try to look at the most critical equipment. And from there, we kind of look at uh, the options that we have. So Omron has the SAVKX, which is an Ethernet IP power supply. And most cabinets will use a power supply to, you know, power sensors, controllers, HMIs, and all these different automation devices, which is pretty critical to the operation of the, the plant. So, you know, kind of look in that application, we can take a look and say, you know, are you experiencing, you know, premature power supply failures? You know, we had a customer that was an automotive customer that had power supplies that were going out between six months and a year. Mm -hmm. And in automotive where it's really critical, where you just can't have that downtime, it was cause, uh, those power supply failures were causing um, a bottleneck in the paint station. So they were trying to find a solution to be able to monitor the life of the, the power supply and making sure that type of failure doesn't happen again. So the SAVKX is a good example where, you know, it provided that benefit and we showed the customer that you're able to monitor the DC loads on that power supply, the voltage, the current, but it also has a monitor for, you know, end of life. Mm -hmm. So they have, with that technology, you know, you're using that uh, 
that monitoring power supply and communicating that remotely to um, you know PC software, and they're able to understand what's going on with that equipment if they're seeing spikes of you know voltage or current, which can you know potentially be hazardous to the entire system, and they're able to respond a lot quicker and not having these surprise you know failures that can cause thousands of dollars of downtime. So that's an example. We're just kind of looking at different different critical areas. And then uh, for motors, you know, like I said, you always see them. Uh, you can take a look at some of the critical conveyor lines and critical motors that are in the facility. Air handling units is a very common one. Industrial chiller motors and hydraulic pumps. Those are, you see those very, uh, very common in a lot of plants. And then we also have a device called the K6PM, which is a thermal condition monitor which is using an infrared camera to detect hotspots in equipment. So actually one of the largest, but let me back up for a second. So in the U.S., you see we have about 37,000 industrial fires per year. One of the number one cause of those fires was uh, electrical and distribution equipment in the plant. So you have all these risks, like, like you know, you're having loose connections inside the cabinet. You're having overload of equipment improper airflow, and a lot of this stuff's not being detected through inspections or maybe it's just too long in between inspections. And so we've had, I've spoken with customers that said, yeah, we've had a couple of fires. Ugh. And yeah, and um, you know, they don't, they're not so willing to tell you that, but um, you know, we had a customer, yeah, we've had some fires that caused a lot of damage into the plant and, you know, could burn up the whole equipment. Sometimes it burned the whole factory. And that's something that, you know, most customers want to avoid, but they don't always think about that, that type of hazard. And by having a device like the K6PM remotely monitoring these hotspots that can occur, they can have a, a little bit more of a peace of mind that, you know, there's something that's watching these devices, making sure they're not overheating but also allowing them to respond faster if something happens and um, reduce that inspection. Three different products, but, you know, three different um, applications where they can be used. And then, you know, most plants have an opportunity to use either of these devices. And then it's just all about, like, priority, you know, the cost of downtime and where it makes sense to make this investment. Yeah, and, and even being a safety guy, right? it even kind of plays into a little bit of operator safety too, right? I know they're not safety devices, but what it is is it goes to an overall safety strategy for your workers. So I think that uh, that is very, very important. Absolutely, especially since some of these panels, you know, they're high voltage control panels, right? can be mm -hmm. 480 volts or more sometimes. Um, and in Canada, where they're using 600 volts in a lot of the motors. It's not... Good idea to always be around the stuff and touching it. Yeah. So you're right. There is there is a safety factor or safety benefit in addition to the you know the, the other benefits that I discussed. Justin Lanton, he is the predictive maintenance guy for Omron. So Justin, thank you very much. But it wouldn't be an automation podcast without some trivia. Oh boy. So who invented the first induction motor? Oh boy. And just a side note for our listeners, Carrie got it right. She knew. Mm. I have two people that I would guess, but I don't think they're right. 
So okay, I haven't heard you typing yet, so that's that you're still within <laughs> bounds of the rules. <laughs> you have two guesses. No lifeline. I, I I can give you a, 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 the two hints I will give you, and these might be too easy, but it was while I could guess think of. and then give it. Okay, 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 okay. Good point. You might get it without it. Okay. Mm, was it uh, Nikola Tesla? Yes. Oh. Was that right? That's yeah. He, he's oh. one. And you named the other. Carrie did not name the other. There's another one? Said, if, uh, due to my sources, uh, Wikipedia says they were independently invented. <laughs> Nikola Tesla was one. The other. The only other person that I know, it's, this was it Thomas Edison? No. No, that's, that's way before that. I know. Right. Uh, so my clue for you will be Galileo. 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 Oh, Galileo. Oh. Is that right? That's the answer? Yeah. No, Galileo, he demonstrated a working model of his single-phase induction motor in 1885. And Tesla built wow. his two-phase induction motor in 1887. Okay. Glad I got at least half of it right. So, yep. You and Carrie will both spot on with uh with tesla thank you everyone for joining carrie and me for the operation automation podcast if you have topics you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes please send them to our email address omron now at omron.com with podcast idea in the subject line also if you'd like to submit a song to us we're looking for intro and outro music options this can be submitted to the same email Finally, all the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found at automation.omron.com. So until next time, we put the fun in factory automation. <laughs>